Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. I am your host, Derek Loda, and today's guest is Anthony Vecino. Anthony is the co-founder of Invictus Capital, which specializes in acquiring and operating value-add multifamily properties in the Twin Cities that deliver cash flow from day one, the opportunity for significant forced appreciation, and excellent tax benefits for passive investors. They also like to focus on passive investing made simple how to break down everything, make it a simple process where it's easy for you to understand as a passive investor and allow you to get in on deals that are going to help you build wealth for the long term. In this episode, he discusses a little bit of his background, his story, how they've been able to consistently build up a nice portfolio at Invictus Capital, and a few pointers for what you should look out for as a passive investor to make sure that you're getting into the right investment to suit your long-term goals. Enjoy today's show. Anthony, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Derek. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of digging in some uh, some insight for uh, passive investors today, you know, why they should be looking at, what to look out for, and kind of how to how to go about getting into uh, into real estate. It's not just for uh, for the country clubs, for the uh, for the super rich, it's uh, anyone can get into it. So, I think it'll be a lot of uh, great insight for for how people can go about that. Um, but before we jump into that aspect of it, uh, would you mind just giving a little bit of your your background? What got you to this point? Uh, real estate, what you do, and uh, just uh, give our listeners a little bit more insight. Yeah. So at my heart, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I was a former author. I've built a bunch of businesses that were outside of real estate. Uh, and the thing that I really like about business is building systems. So putting together you know, the building blocks and then seeing what kind of machine that you can build and then watching it run. That's a lot of fun to me. And real estate uh, scratches a lot of that itch because the pieces that you put together, they're really simple, but the number of ways that you can put them together is infinite. So it's like Lego blocks. Once you understand how the pieces go together, the sky's the limit. You could build anything. And so for me, my real estate career started um, in a bunch of starts and spurts. Back in college, I did some fix and flips quickly realized that I absolutely despise construction. Like I can swing a hammer, but I can't hit a nail. So that didn't last for very long. And then a couple of years, fast forward, I was living in California and had a friend who was buying up quads and triplexes, little small properties. And so we went into business together and purchased a couple of those. And I was very passive at that point. And even then, real estate wasn't super interesting to me at that point as like a career possibility or even as like this big investment vehicle. It was still just in that instance, supporting a friend and saying, you're doing this thing, it's working for you. Here's some money. Let's do it together. Cool. And I was still over kind of building my other things. And then fast forward to 2017, I'm living back here in the twin cities of uh, Minnesota and the story that I tell, and I don't know if this is how the story actually goes, but this is how I remember the story going. It was, I was driving into downtown Minneapolis, looking up at the skyline and it was a beautiful sunset um, afternoon, evening, and it was really gorgeous. And I was looking at the skyscrapers and was struck with the question, how do you buy a skyscraper? Like who owns a skyscraper? And I was like, trying to go through that. I was like, is that an institution? Is there an individual behind that? Is that a group of people? Like I had no context for what it meant to buy a skyscraper. And now I'm not necessarily interested in buying skyscrapers, but trying to answer that question led me down the rabbit hole of learning more and more about real estate. So I had this itch of like this question itch. And so by scratching it, I started to uncover 
multifamily investing in particular and how interesting that was. And so I decided to go and buy a triplex, started small. I wanted to learn the systems, the processes, how to interact with the tenants, how to manage this little business. I wanted to understand on a small scale how to work this thing and then scale up from there. And so I bought that triplex and within nine months, I refinanced it. And this reiterated something about the small real estate that I really didn't like, but I had no context for until that moment, which was when you go to do a valuation on a small building, it's based off of comparables. So for a triplex, it's going to be valued against how other buildings of that same size and style and age in that particular neighborhood or a certain area, how they've been selling recently. So if the market's been good and those houses have been selling for a lot of money, then great. Yours is going to sell for about that same amount. Then again, if the market's been bad or if the neighbors have been selling their stuff really low for whatever reason, then your valuation is going to come back low. And so for me with that triplex after nine months, we refinanced it and had appreciated $125,000 in nine months, despite me putting practically no money into it, into improving the operations. I got good tenants in there. We were being good with the expenses and running an efficient process, but that wasn't really baked into the valuation. So overnight, it seemed like, wow, there's all this value in this property. But I didn't like that because I had no control over it. It wasn't based off of my merit. And I was like, nope, I, I want to know that by my work and the skill that I'm bringing to the table that I can influence how this business is operating. And so that led me into the bigger multifamily. So properties that were, you know, four units and larger, they're going to be valued differently based off of uh, a formula that is net operating income divided by cap rate. And so now you can control how these buildings are valued. And this is where things get really interesting then. So I joined forces with my now partner, Dan Kruger at the end of 2019, and we started syndicating, um, apartment complexes. Before that, we were doing joint ventures and just using our own money. Um, But we were getting so many questions from friends and family that were like, hey, what I see you doing this thing over here. It looks really cool. I hear you're making a lot of money. How can we participate? And so we were bringing friends and family into these joint ventures, but then we wanted to go larger because there's a lot of benefits to scaling. And we had you know, more and more people reaching out and saying, hey, we want to invest with you. So we went the syndication route and we syndicated our first property back in January of 2020. Um, it actually just closed on our second syndication about a week and a half ago now. So in 2020, now that's our second one. And it's been really good because it's been an opportunity to work with passive investors, people who have no interest in trash tenants or toilets. They don't want to do any of the active stuff. They don't want to deal with any of that. They just want to be able to put their money to work for them and earn a good, strong return and also benefit from all the tax cuts that you get from being a real estate investor, which is one of the you know, the massive advantages to this asset class versus, you know, the stock markets or, um, you know, alpacas, I guess. I don't think alpacas have any tax advantages if you want to invest in one. Yeah, maybe not, but I'm sure there's people that do. Um, you know, I, I just, I did find it interesting uh, just to cut back to you, that property increase in value in those nine months by over a hundred thousand dollars. And you didn't like that. I mean, you liked it, yeah. <laughs> but that was the re- kind of a red flag for you, which I think is really interesting because I, a lot of people would probably go, man, this is great because they haven't seen that downswing when they need to refinance or they need to sell for whatever it is. But yeah, just kind of see the writing on the wall that it you don't have that control. And um, I just thought that was really interesting. It was something that worked out really well for you. 
but it made you realize not so much uh not so much for me but um but anyway so yeah i you know, I I I, I want to touch on that real quickly because I think it was Seneca, um, who's a Stoic philosopher, who says something to the effect of, you know, Lady Fortune can give um, just as easily as she takes, or vice versa, she can take as easily as she gives, and that's what I felt like in that moment was like, oh, Lady Fortune has smiled kindly on me, but you know, uh, she could take this away just as easily, and I didn't like having my business operating off of Fortune's favor. And I, I mean, again, like you said, the way that these larger multifamily properties are, are valued is it, it is all about the income. It's it's the way that you operate the deal, the value that you add to it. The You know, if you're able to sustain the occupancy, you know, you have a great place for people to live. The residents want to stay there. You have less turnover. You know, all these factors that you really have complete control over it. You know, the one thing you can't really have control over is what the cap rates are doing, but that's based mm-hmm. off of markets. But at least you're going to know how it's going to be valued going in based off of what those market cap rates are at whatever period in time it is. So, um, you know, but not to dig into uh, into the active operation side of it. Again, we want to stay more on the, uh, the passive investors. So kind of lean into how you, you know, people started coming to you. Now you've done some syndications, you know, for the, for the person that's, that's looking to be passive, you know, and, it's kind of thinking about, you know, they might have their 401, they just have their stocks, you know, haven't really thought about uh, real estate and specifically multifamily. Uh, would you mind touching on a, a few reasons why someone should really consider uh, real estate as a passive investment vehicle? Yeah, I think there's there's so many reasons as you start to go through them, it starts to sound a little bit too good to be true. Um, but they they're there. The problem is that for a lot of people, they're just not aware that this this vehicle, this asset class, is available to them in this way. Because historically, to get involved in a syndication, you really needed to know somebody who was already doing this. And the chances of knowing somebody that just happened to be syndicating apartment buildings is pretty slim, unless you're uh, in a country club or kind of rubbing shoulders with that that crowd, right? And, and that's, a, that's a function of how the SEC has allowed us to really advertise these deals in the past and some of the restrictions that have been lifted on that in recent years. And so they're becoming more and more popular, these private placements. So for us, a big part of how we attract uh, passive investors is just by education, just putting out content on the internet, having conversations with the people around us about what it is that we do and just making them aware of like, hey, this thing is over here. So what are the benefits to being a passive investor? One, it, you know, it's in the name, you're passive. You don't have to be taking an active role in the, the management of the property. A lot of people have these nightmare stories of real estate of like, oh, I don't want to deal with a tenant or a broken toilet in the middle of the night. Great. That's where, that's where the being passive comes in. Just in the same way that you can passively invest in a business in the stock market. When you go to buy a stock, that's what you're doing. You're buying a piece of the company and you're sitting back passively while you know Elon Musk goes and runs the, the company up into the clouds, right? It's the same thing here with a syndication is that you're buying a share and you're passive and you're trusting and then the business operators to go and re, uh, deliver great returns. And that's one of the things that we really love about it is that the if you look at it on a risk adjusted um, uh, 
perspective, the the returns in relation to that risk in real estate are far better than what you can get in pretty much every other asset class. I think it was Thomson Reuters. They did a 20-year analysis from 1993 to 2013, where they analyzed seven different asset classes and, and kind of pegged them on a graph across uh, measuring risk and return. And what you would see is the riskier the return, um, the the, the higher the return. So you would see like the stock market and uh, large cap stocks over here in the far right corner, which would be very risky, um, but very high returns as well. And then really low returns, you would see like government bonds or corporate bonds, but you know, they're not as risky. They, they don't have as much of a return there. Well, commercial real estate has kind of the best of both worlds. It's a physical asset that doesn't fluctuate in terms of its volatility and its valuation over time. And so it's relatively safe and stable while also generating returns that are on par or above what you could get in the stock market. And so those returns are, can be anywhere between you know 15 to 20% IRR, uh, which is, a, I would say, a pretty bread and butter apartment syndication deal these days for most operators. Um, usually those returns can even be in excess of that. And then you get the tax benefits too. By being a passive investor, these, these uh, properties are being held in pass-through entities. And so as we depreciate these assets, which is just a fancy way of saying, hey, these buildings wear out and the government compensates us for that by letting us take it as a loss against our taxes. Well, those losses get passed through to you as the passive investor. So you're earning cash flow throughout the, the life of this property. Ideally, it might, might not, depends on the type of deal that you're invested in. But let's say that you're earning $10,000 per year of cash flow and you have all this depreciation that you get to uh, count against it. Well, you're not paying any taxes then on that cash flow until you go into some kind of exit event at the end. That gets, that's a conversation for your CPA and I'm not your CPA. So uh, make sure that you have that. But those are the kind of the, the, the big benefits here is that you get to be passive you get really high returns, you get the tax benefits, and it's all within this very stable asset. People always need a place to live. And so from a, a supply and demand perspective, it has the, the best fundamentals that you can look for in a macroeconomic sense. There's always people needing a place to live. It's really hard to build new buildings of the type that, you know, if you're looking at class C and class B buildings, which is workforce housing, a little bit more affordable, it's hard to go and build that for an affordable rate. And so there's this natural barrier to entry for new construction. There's a, a set amount of inventory out there. So you have a restriction on the supply, but you have ever rising demand, especially as millennials are kind of moving further and further away from owning their homes and wanting to be a nation of renters or the baby boomers who are now getting to the end of their their run and saying, hey, you know what? I don't need this really big house anymore. I want to downsize and have the ability to go and travel. I don't want to be tied down to this big property. So actually one of the, the biggest demographics of renters here in the near future actually is the baby boomers. So those are the things that we look for and why uh, I think passive investing is so much more interesting than you know, alpacas, we'll say, or stocks. I, I keep talking about alpacas because I was talking to a guy the other day who invests in alpacas and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, but it was also one of the most obscure. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's something where, yeah, when you look at it, uh, you know, you might not necessarily beat returns of the stock market. I mean, as a whole, you know, again, you, you kind of reference that, but it's a lot more secure. So even again, it's what, what is your risk tolerance? What are you looking for returns? So again, even if it's just on par and I've heard that argument of, well, my stocks have done, you know, this return over time. And, you know, I see all this stuff for real estate and it actually does, you know, a little bit less. Why would I switch up? 
the risk. It's with some something that you're closer to that control. You know, for example, with you, your your friends, family, you know, invest with you on the deal. They know you. They know the operator. You you have more of that that comfort of who is going to be in charge of making decisions on this property. And, you know, it just gives that added sense of security because you've been able to vet it. Again, you go back to uh, say with Elon Musk, you can't have a conversation with Elon Musk and go, okay, yep, now I'll buy some stock in it. Mm-hmm. No, you just have to go with what you, <laughs> what you see in here, you know? So it does have that, that nice little um, added security, but you know, you, I, I feel you do have to, uh, know at least some of the basics for for metrics within it so you're not because you don't want to just go in blind you want a a general understanding of it even as as a passive investor so what would you say are are three metrics that that anyone who's going to be a passive investor should should be aware of should have a basic understanding of before getting into a a syndication Mm -hmm. yeah so when we're talking about the metrics we're going to be talking about some of the return metrics here and kind of breaking down what you can expect from um, an apartment syndication, because this is one of the questions people have is, you know, if I can get comparable returns on the stock market, why wouldn't I just go do that? seems easier, um, which doesn't take into account the tax benefits, but we'll take the tax benefits. We're going to put those aside for now and just talk um, the cash on cash return, the internal rate of return and the equity multiple. These are three key metrics that once you kind of understand, you're going to be able to look at deals and and compare them apples to oranges or apples to apples, depending on how similar that they are. So the cash on cash return is your your most common metric that most people are, are thinking of when they invest in something. It is how much money am I getting out in, in, um, in proportion to what I've put in. So if I invest $100,000 into an asset um, and I am receiving $10,000 annually, then that's a 10% cash on cash return. And that's a great metric just to kind of get your, uh, you know, your the ball rolling in the conversation, but it's not the end all be all metric. It's a really simple metric that doesn't take into account the time value of money and all the different cash flows and when they come into the system. And so it's a starting point, but it's not the point that you should base off the entire investment. For us, that's the internal rate of return or the IRR. And this is a complicated metric. If you want to be able to do it on a piece of paper, good luck. You can't do it. You need a spreadsheet that has the ability to, to do the IRR formulation. Um, but understanding it conceptually is very important. You don't need to necessarily be able to calculate it for yourself. You just need to understand what it means. And so what the IRR takes into account is all the different cash flows. So that's uh, maybe monthly distributions. That's maybe... Uh, capital events such as a cash out refinance or the sale of the property. And it's saying, when is all of this money coming into my bank account? Because that's what really matters. If we think about the time value of money that says, hey, if I have money in my hand right now, that has utility. I can go and use that, right? I can go invest that. And then that dollar can start making money. So me getting money today is much better than me getting money into the future, all things being told and equal, Um, which also, if you take into consideration the inflation, then a dollar today is worth a little bit more than it would be in 10 years, let's say. So all of these things matter. We want to get money earlier, uh, preferably, but if not, we want to have a metric that allows us to compare these two. So if I have a one deal where I get all the money in year five at the very end versus a 
a second deal where I get a little bit of the money each year leading up to year five, the total returns of those two deals might be exactly the same, but the IRR is going to be incredibly different. And so that's our gold standard. Typically, when we're looking at deals, we look for a base of 15% IRR, um, preferably up into that 20% range. But that's um, that's that number is going to allow you to compare this deal versus that deal. One might be a development deal. One might be a very stable yield play in a class A development where it's all just cash flow and there's not a ton of upside on the back end. Or if you're even investing in the stock market, you could calculate the IRR there as well and compare it against the real estate. So it's a really powerful metric. Um, and that's the one that you really should be looking at for, for most people most of the time. The third metric that we'll talk about is the equity multiple. And this is not very important, but it's helpful to, to frame how much do I stand to make in this deal? And that's usually what a lot of passive investors, when they first come in, they, they want to know, um, when am I getting my money back and how much am I going to get? And so the equity multiple is an easy way to calculate that. If I put in $100,000 and at the end of the deal, I've made back $200,000, I have a 2x equity multiple. I have 2x my money. And so all that's doing all the equity multiple do, is doing is taking whatever you invested and you times it towards that, that, that equity multiple and that gives you how much you stand to make. So if the, if the operator is presenting you a deal and it says, hey, this is a 2X equity multiple, then you can say, well, if I invest about $50,000 in however long this project goes, at the end of it, I'll have doubled my money. Now, the reason the equity multiple is not super important is because of that time aspect. Some deals, they only last for three years. Some deals are seven years. Some deals are 10 years. And so the equity multiple, you know, on a three-year deal, if it's a 2X, that's going to be a whole lot different than if it's a 10-year deal with a 2X equity multiple. And so that's why I say it's not super critical, but it's helpful to understand and just do some back of the map, napkin math. Yeah, I mean, you know, that way, like you said, you're just figuring out, okay, at the end of this, I should... X amount, increase my money and, you know, have that, but yeah, the, being able to get, get that money back, get those returns sooner, obviously, like you said, you can reinvest that right away. You can put it into stuff uh, rather than having to wait for a huge capital event, say seven years down the road, you're able to have the same return in, you know, five years, obviously that's going to be um, more appealing for a reinvestment standard um, as you can, can grow it faster. But uh, you know, with, with someone that, okay, they're, they're going to go, I'm going to look into this. I think this is really what I want to want to do. I'm going to split, you know, take a, a portion of my uh, retirement accounts, you know, and kind of invest into, into multifamily, you know, kind of going from the process from like the first conversation, um, you know, first conversation with you to what that plan is kind of that longer term, whatever that exit is, what, what does that process kind of look like? Obviously each property is, you know, a case by case basis, but um, say kind of a, a standard idea for, for what someone should, should expect for, uh, you know, just a general range of time, but what that whole process is like as a passive investor, what they can expect uh, throughout that deal. Yeah. So I would say it all starts with getting to know the operator. That's step one is you know, it doesn't matter how good the deal is at the end of the day, it's all about the operators that are going to be working that deal, that business plan. And the way that we talk about this a lot is, you know, the, the business plan, that's really just chalking the, the, 
the field and saying, these are the rules of the game. This is how we're going to play them. But the operators are the, the players on the field who decide whether or not they're actually going to play by those rules or if they're going to commit a foul. So step one is finding operators that you know, like, and trust um, and that have experience doing the thing that you're, you're hoping to do. Um, if they don't have that experience, that's fine. Just, you know, be aware of that and saying like, okay, they're a little bit newer. So there's going to be some mistakes along the way, but that can also be a really good opportunity to get in the door with somebody who's new and, and, you know, um, maybe in a couple of years, they're going to be the next big thing. So you just never know. What I would say then is go find your operator, spend more time vetting them and getting to know, like, and trust them than you do the deal itself. Um, because again, a bad operator is going to take a good deal. They're going to make it um, garbage and a great operator. They can take a pretty good deal and make it great and they can make it shine. So you start there. And the way that these deals are solicited typically is you need to have a pre-existing relationship or you have to have some kind of conversation with the operator. You have to make contact and introduce yourself so that you get onto their radar because deals are fairly limited. There's, there's less deals than there are investors. Uh, when a private placement comes along and we start marketing it, marketing it, it fills up really, really quickly. So you need to be in that operator's mind as somebody that you know they want to work with. Um, and you do that by establishing that relationship, understanding what's the market that they're looking in, what type of asset classes do they do they um, deal with, and what's their business plan. So if you know you're not interested in investing in the Twin Cities, I'm probably not going to be your operator because this is exclusively where we operate. But I might be able to connect you with somebody who say operates out of Orlando or Miami or you know wherever that is. Um, but then maybe you find that operator and you're like, okay, what types of deals do you do? What's your asset classes? They might be doing retail or shopping centers, which might not be interesting to you. You might be a multifamily person. So you got to find the operator who is in the area that you want operating the assets and the business plan that you want. From there, once you decide that you want to do a deal and you found the operator and you're psyched on that, they're going to, once they get the deal, they're going to pass it along to you and say, Hey, we have this thing. It's going to come in the form of an investment package typically, which gives you the high level information about the deal. They might prime you beforehand with a phone call and say something like, Hey, we have this deal coming down the pipeline. Just want to let you know about it. Here's kind of how it's looking. And there'll generally be like a webinar or something, an informational meeting, a dinner, maybe if you're local or a phone call where you can just talk through the deal in more detail. You can get your head around it. But from here, the deal starts moving pretty quickly. Once we have an investment package, that means we have the deal under contract and we have a limited amount of time to raise the capital and get this thing to close. And so the ball starts moving fast. Before this point, you want to make sure that you really understand apartment syndications. So you need to be spending time educating yourself. You don't need to be a master of it. You're a passive investor. You don't need to know every nuance, every in and out, but you need to know enough of the system to be able to make good judgments about the deal when you finally see it and say, do I want to fund this deal? So I would say before the deal ever comes to you, be spending a lot of time educating yourself. Listening to podcasts like this is a great way of doing that, reading books or blog articles. There's a ton of resources out there. So once we do the webinar and we have the conversations with the, invest, the investors, now it's time to start funding the deal. And this is where it's a first come first serve basis. Um, you can make a soft commitment and say, hey, I intend to invest $100,000 with you, but it doesn't actually hold your place in the line until we receive that money. So you got to get that money in there quickly because there's a lot of investors kind of chomping at the bit to do that. That doesn't mean that you just want to, you know, sh uh, 
shirk your due diligence and move too quickly and just make a snap decision. That's not what we're saying, but you do need to have a little bit of sense of urgency. So if you're planning on investing with a 401k and transferring that into a self-directed IRA, IRA you're going to want to be doing that well in advance of this whole process because that can take a couple of weeks and you might miss out on the opportunity. But let's say we get the deal funded, you're in the deal, you're good to go, we finally get it closed. What's going to start happening depending on the deal and how it's structured is you're, you're going to get some ongoing distribution. So of the types of deals that we do, we do value add multifamily that generates cash flow from day one. So from the first four, full quarter that we get a deal under contract, we start paying out quarterly distributions. And that's just going to be um, from the cash flow to you based off of what's the amount of shares that you own in the company. So if you own 10% of the company and we have X number of cash flow coming in, you get 10% of that cash flow. And it gets a little bit more complicated when we start talking about preferred returns and waterfall structures and preferred equity. There's, it can get kind of complicated, but just know that in the most basic sense, you'll be receiving ongoing cash flow distributions, whether monthly or quarterly or annually, it just depends on the operator and how they do it. And then if there's any capital events, and this is what we like to, to really target is like a cash out refinance in about year two or three. And this is a really powerful mechanism because what it does is it allows us to go back to the bank and put on new financing onto the, onto the property with its new elevated valuation. And what that allows us to do then is it pulls out the capital or a significant portion of the capital that we, in, we initially invested. And so if you put in $100,000, we might be returning 60% of that in, this, in the form of this cash out refinance. So now you have $60,000 back that you can go and invest in a separate deal. But what it also does is it reduces your basis inside this current deal so that, well, it, return, it, it reduces... Um, how much capital you still have sitting in the deal. It doesn't necessarily reduce your ownership basis. That depends on how the ownership has structured that deal. Um, but generally what it does is it removes risk. It takes it off the table because you no longer have that money in the deal, but you're still earning equal cash flow distributions as though it was still in there. And so it's almost like you're getting infinite returns. If you could imagine a scenario where we refinance and returned all of your capital, then you're still in the deal. It's still cash flowing. You're getting infinite returns on that because all your money has been returned to you. So it's a, it's a pretty powerful uh, vehicle because of that particular aspect of the cash out refinance. And then at some point within, it just depends on the business plan. It could be three years, five years, seven years. I would say the average is we hold most properties for five to seven years. And at that point, then we exit, you get your money back and then you could do all sorts of things moving forward from there. Um, to roll it forward in some kind of tax deferred vehicle, like a Delaware stat, uh, what is it? A deferred state trust, uh, Delaware statute trust. I can't remember, DST, look it up. It's really cool. Um, or like a 1031 exchange. So that's kind of like from very, very beginning to very, very end of the deal. Most of the, our investors, once we do one refinance or one exit event, they're looking for the next opportunity just to kind of roll that money into the next deal. So once, you, once you've get, been bitten by that bug, you, you'll probably just kind of want to keep doing more and more deals. Yeah, and it, it's something that, you know, especially once, once you're in and, uh, you know, these deals start to uh, turn and burn, uh, so to speak, where you're getting that refinance and you're able to go, you know, into the next one, if you're going to keep putting it into real estate, all of a sudden just, it really starts, it's like a hockey stick, you know, mm -hmm. it's a slower growth. And then all of a sudden it just spikes up, you know, as you, as you get that exponential growth. So, you know, 
for for those that are are thinking about getting into it, it, it sounds you know, it sounds like there's a lot, but it's basically just step one: get educated. If you're you you see that you're following you know a podcast or or blogs or you're seeing stuff on LinkedIn from someone consistently, have, reach out, have a conversation. I mean, that's what that's what syndicators are there for. That's what these deal sponsors, you know, to have that conversation, find the right fit. And then kind of go from there. So kind of that first step, though, I would really, uh, you know, to speak on your point, get educated. You have to know the basics of how this works because you need to know, am I comfortable with this process? Am I comfortable with, you know, knowing what to look for or look out for? And, you know, a lot of podcasts, a lot of uh, books, they'll, they'll go through, you know, what you need to look for and what you need to watch out for. Because, you know, if you get into a, you know, a bad, bad fit for you, um, regardless of what situation it is that leads to it not uh, performing uh, uh, by chance, but that's going to ruin your whole appetite for doing further deals. So you need to find the yep. right fit for you. Like you said, you're investing with the sponsor, not necessarily the deal. Obviously the deal generates that, that revenue for you, but the sponsor is the one that's going to either at the end of the day, mm-hmm. make you money or, you know, make you never want to invest in real estate again. So, yeah. It's and it's like I would say the biggest con about real estate and apartment syndications is that it's a very liquid asset. Once you put your money in there, there's ways that you can get it out, but generally it's very very difficult. Um, and we we not encouraging our investors to try and exit the deals early, so it's kind of it's kind of difficult to do that. So once you put your money in it's tied up for five to seven years or however long it takes for that deal to run its course. And if you discover within the first you know, couple of months or years or whatever, like, Oh, I actually don't like these operators. They're doing a very bad job. It's going to be a very bumpy five to seven years. You're going to be very, very frustrated by the end of it. So you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence on the front end of the operators and doing your education, but don't be like, don't be put off by the idea of educating yourself and thinking this is something that's big and scary. And there's so much to learn when you're trying to learn about, I, I think personally investing in like the stock markets and bonds, I've always found that really complicated. There's a lot of moving parts and it's all kind of baked in with terminology and lingo that's kind of confusing and a lot of nuances. And so I've always found it a little bit uh, impenetrable in that way. Whereas real estate one of the reasons, again, that I love it is it's the Lego bricks. It's very simple. Once you understand just the few pieces and how they click together, then you can build all sorts of things, but it's it's not complicated understanding how those pieces actually work. And, and I think with just a little bit of effort, a couple hours a week for maybe three months or so, most passive investors can get to the point where they understand enough that they can look at a deal and say, is this a good deal or is this uh, a really weird deal? And again, you know, everything is going to have it, you know, like you meant, have its pros and cons for an investment vehicle. Like you mentioned, it's, it, it's illiquid money. Once it's in, it's not like the stock market where you, where you do invest. And again, a couple months later, you can go, Oh, never mind. I don't want to have it in, you know, mm-hmm. Exxon or whatever the company might be, you know? So it is again, to reiterate that point, be very comfortable, be confident in the operator for that deal because it is uh it's like a marriage uh so to speak where you're in it for a while um you know it's not like just dating where you can break up a couple months later it can be a, a very bumpy <laughs> bumpy ride so obviously you want to you want to make sure it's the right fit but um you know again it's not to scare people it's just doing due diligence 
as, mm-hmm. as you would with anything, you want to make sure it's a, it's a good fit. So, um, you know, with this, uh, you know, with, with this podcast, obviously focusing on, you know, apartment investing for early retirement, retirement means something different for pretty much everyone. Uh, so, you know, for you, what does that word mean? Retirement. I think retirement for a lot of people in the past has, has carried some weird stigma and some weird associations with it, which is I'm old, I'm tired. I'm going to go onto the beach. I'm going to drink Mai Tais and, and that's retirement. And I think that's, I think that vision is shifting for a lot of people, especially the younger generation millennials, I think are starting to look at that and say, I don't want to reach this finish line. There is no finish line for me. I want to be able to enjoy and live my life right now in the terms that I choose for myself. And so I think retirement for me is more about being able to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, and not having to be beholden to a job or a boss or you know a financial situation that doesn't allow me to do any of that. And I think that's the case for a lot of people when it really comes down to it. Retirement for them is just having that, that time freedom. And I think money doesn't solve all problems, but it does solve most of your money problems. And money is a vehicle that can allow you to free up more time. And so I think that's what retirement is for me. But in terms of working, I don't, I don't really foresee myself ever not working. I really enjoy the work that I do. I think most people, if they could spend their time doing work that they love, then they wouldn't be thinking about retirement. They would just be thinking about how do I do more of this work? And so I'm, I'm really um, eager to try and get as many people to that place in their life as possible where they can be doing the work that's the most meaningful and purpose-filled for them and not just having to go and punch the nine to five and feeling like, oh, I, I still have another 20 years of this until I get to retire. Yeah, it's just, you know, not working doesn't mean retirement. And it's just, you know, it's not a certain dollar amount. But like you said, it's, it's knowing, being able to have the ability to know how to utilize your money to get you to a point where you don't have to worry about like, I have to work, I might love my job, new boss comes in tomorrow, and I now hate my job. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about that. You can continue working just in a different area, you know, to have that freedom of, you know, the freedom of choice to do what you want. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know earlier you had mentioned you're driving into, you know, downtown Minneapolis, you were looking at the skyline. How do you, you know, how does someone buy a skyscraper, you know, but was there a specific, uh, you know, so that kind of led you into, into real estate, but was there a specific book or, or event, uh, you know, that really made you take action to go specifically to multifamily? Hmm. And specifically in the multifamily. Yeah, I don't know. I think what, I don't think there was a specific event. It was just through the education process as I was digging in the, the fundamentals of how multifamily works, just really jived with my mentality and, and the things that I wanted out of investing. That's not to say that there's anything wrong with all the other different forms of real estate investing or just investing in general. Like there's a million ways that you can achieve your goals through real estate investing. That could be single family homes, like fix and flips. It could be mobile home communities. It could be storage units, multifamily retail, like whatever. 
Like they're all great. You just have to pick one. And for me, as I was digging in and doing that education, multifamily just kept coming up to the top of the list for me in terms of hitting all those, those bucket items. Like I wanted to have control over how this, this building was valued. I wanted stability through scale. I wanted cash flow. I wanted tax benefits. I wanted to benefit from the appreciation. Um, and so, and I wanted the strong underlying fundamentals of economics, which was the supply and demand curves. And so like I wanted something that was going to be resist recession resistant, regardless of what, what occurs. So uh, there wasn't really a moment, but I, I just through education, it just kept coming up to the top and saying, oh, okay, I like this one. Great. And, you know, it, it is interesting. It's like, uh, you know, how it goes to an overnight success. Well, to become an overnight success, it takes years and years of, you know, that work, that effort. So it is, you know, it's not one event, but it's that gradual time frame of studying through everything. So, um, Interesting. I mean, again, there are so many ways to make money in different avenues in real estate, just well, in general, in business, mm -hmm. a bunch of different ways in real estate. Both of us uh, prefer multifamily because of like what you mentioned, it's a basic human need, the need for housing. It's something I can go out and touch. I have more control. You know, again, a couple of those are can overlap in, uh, in general with real estate, but mm -hmm. that basic human need of housing and the lack of supply for it right now um, is is a big driver. So, um, but yeah, really a great episode. I think uh, you know, especially for those that are have that interest in uh, in passively investing, they don't want to don't want to be the hands on. So, I think it's a, a lot of great information for how they can kind of go about that. Um, but before we before we leave, where how can people find out more about you? I know that you have uh, your own podcast as well, but uh, how can people find out more and reach out to you? Yeah, uh, find us over at InvictusMultifamily.com. And right now we have, um, if you're interested in passive investing and learning more about it, like step one is educating yourself, head over to InvictusMultifamily.com backslash quick start. And that's going to take you to the quick start guide to passive investing. And it's a 22 page document that's going to walk you through everything you need to know about vetting operators, uh, vetting markets, finding deals, how to understand the deal, how to fund the deal. So it can take you so that you can start to, to understand these Lego pieces and how they go together. It's totally free. So go check that out. If, um, if you're interested, if you're more of a listener, we have uh, the Multifamily Investing Made Simple podcast. So you can find that on iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I'm everywhere. I'm Anthony Vecino. And I, I welcome any of your questions. So if you're, if you're new to investing or you're experienced and you have questions, feel free to reach out. I'd love to love to chat with you guys. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for, uh, for taking the time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners will find a lot of great value and uh, look forward to, to future conversations and uh, yeah, take care. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Please be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. The links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to share it out on social media so that we can reach more and more people to help educate them about the opportunity that multifamily investing provides to help reach their version of retirement sooner than later. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.